Creating and rekindling memories. NHR. Nottingham Hospital Radio is a registered charity. Want to be a part of it? Well, find out how you can help by donating, by sponsoring, or even joining us. Just visit nhradio.org.uk. Delighted to say that we have another castaway in our Desert Island Books feature, which has been run by NUH Library Services. And a very warm welcome to Rachel Hucknell, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Nottinghamshire Hospice. Uh, Welcome to NHR, Rachel. How are you today? I'm really good today, thank you, Rajiv. Really good. That's great to hear. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and uh, and about yourself, really. Yeah, so um, as you said, my name's Rachel and I'm the Chief Exec at Nottinghamshire Hospice. Um, I've been in post four months now. Uh, prior to that, I, um, I started my career as a podiatrist and uh, used to work at uh, Queen's Medical Centre, as, as it was called in those days. Uh-huh. Um and used to run the diabetic foot clinic and help people with diabetes and their foot conditions. I then went and worked at Boots for a while, looking after nurse-led services, and then came back to NUH um, and had five lovely years managing diagnostics, so MRI, CT and ultrasound. Um, I went on maternity leave and then came back and um, managed a great range of services, so it was renal and transplant, diabetes and endocrinology, cardiac surgery, vascular surgery. Um, so a really broad portfolio of services at NUH, which was a real pleasure to it was a real pleasure to work with those teams. Um, and then my passion for renal care and, and end of life care sort of came from there really. So I then went to work for a, a private healthcare company called Diaverum and I was their operations director for seven years Um, and then the opportunity came up to be the chief exec at the hospice Um, and interestingly when the advert came out I had three people contact me and said Rachel this is your dream job which 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 might sound a bit strange really that it's someone's dream job to work at a hospice Um, but my mother-in-law had had care from the hospice she Mm -hmm. sadly died last Christmas of um, pancreatic cancer and the hospice team were just incredible Um, so bearing in mind it was you know we were in the midst of Covid at that point um, it meant that that my mother-in-law could stay at home with the support of the hospice staff and um, and died with her family around her in a lovely nice warm bed in her own home Um, so that really hit home as to how important hospice care is for, for me as an individual and then the opportunity to, to lead the team was just too big an opportunity to miss. So, um, yes, so I was successful and um, I've been the chief exec there for the last four months. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that a hospice is not necessarily a place. I think many of us assume that a hospice is a place where people go to spend their last um, whatever it is, weeks, uh, months, etc. Um, but it, it can often be the provision of care in people's own homes. Tell us something about that. Yes. So um, I think the most common um, most common thought about the hospice in Nottingham is that we have beds um, and we don't have any beds. Um, all of our care is delivered in patients' homes. So we have a service um, where people can um, receive support in the daytime. Uh, we have a twilight service and we have an overnight service. So the overnight service might mean that we call in 
two, three times a night um, to check on on how someone's doing to see if they if their pain management is working, to see if they need any help with any personal care. Or we do an overnight care service as well where um, it can be very exhausting looking after someone who's poorly. Um, so we can provide a nurse or a healthcare assistant who can stay with the patient overnight in their own home. Mm-hmm. And it means that the carer can then sleep, um, which then gives them the bit more energy the next day to continue to either look after their loved one by themselves or to have us helping them as I said sort of during the daytime as well uh, so yeah so there are no beds at the hospice which I say is always a surprise to people but we do have um, a day therapy unit um, which is just we just there is so much laughter in the building it's probably the job where I've laughed the most because we have such good fun in there <laughs> so the patients will come in and um, they have an initial assessment and work out what their goal might be so if they've got, you know, a few months left to live, it might be that uh, we've had a lady who wanted to learn the guitar. Um, right. So we worked with the physio and the occupational therapist to get her to, to be able to use the guitar, which was, which was a skill she had as a child and then hadn't, um, hadn't used for a long, long time, so wanted to get used to doing that. We've had someone who wanted to be able to walk their dog for as long as possible. So we've been able to do some work with the physio and the OT again in terms of helping them keep as active as possible, um, managing their fatigue and tiredness and and really helping them live their best life. Um, And we do some really good fun sessions. So we do Tai Chi, which is really, everyone really enjoys that. So those that can stand will do a standing version of it. And then those that are in chairs or wheelchairs can do a a seated version. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do quite a lot of group sessions. So, yes, we do things like, oddly enough, we do book club. Um, And at the moment, they're looking at a book that's been written by one of our patients. Uh, We do current affairs discussions, uh, watercolours. We did uh, Bake Off last week. That was good fun. Um, Tasty. Yes, it was. It was. The smell was just delicious. It just made you so hungry. Um, And then there are individual sessions for patients as well. So people can have complementary therapy. um, So things like massage and acupuncture to help manage pain or fatigue. Um, And we provide that to people's carers as well. And, And as I said, they can have physio and OT as well, which is quite specific to that individual patient and their needs. So we've got a really good range of services at the hospice. And it's just, I say, such a fun and joyful place to be, um, which is not what people expect, really. No. And does it ever make you wonder? I mean, I think most of us, um, if if we're honest, probably waste a lot of time in our lives. But I always have this perception that um, when people are coming to the end and they know they are, that they they are able to maximise their time and, and manage their time and do stuff that they really want to. Yes, absolutely. You know, when you think about the things that you worry about, um, you know, not only not only am I a chief exec, but I'm a daughter, a sister, uh, a wife. And, and I think some of the things that we worry about are actually quite insignificant. Mm. Um, and it certainly puts things in perspective. And um, I'm not saying I... You know, I live every day as my last because, because you know, that's not practical. But it certainly makes you appreciate the good, the good times and worry less about the tricky times. 
Uh, now, you mentioned the book club is part of uh, what you you uh, offer, um, and uh, we're on the subject of books now with you. Are you are you a big reader? I adore books, yes. I um, One of the things I love about books is, is picking a book up, and this is going to sound really strange, but <laughs> I pick a book up, I love the feel of it, and I love the smell of it. So the first thing I will do when I pick up a book is, is, is literally, it's quite a, a physical experience in terms of touching it and smelling it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have, um, because I read so much, um, so if I go on holiday, um, when I used to go on holiday, uh, my suitcase would be overweight because of the books <laughs> I had in it. So I have gone on to a Kindle, um, which lots of people were recommending to me, but... Um, and I, I always thought I would never take to it, but actually it's very handy in terms of having lots of books, um, a very lightweight version of lots of books. So, yes, I adore reading. Yeah. It's something that I, I started as a child, really, and mum used to take me to the to the little library on, at Mackley Top. All right. um, we'd swap our books. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a lifelong love, really. That's great. Uh, a little secret for you, Rachel. You're not the only person that sniffs your books sometimes. Um, but anyway, maybe that's our little secret. Um, okay, so you're the castaway on Desert Island Books. What's your first choice? Yeah, so it, this was really hard. Um, just to choose six books and thinking about being on a desert island and mm-hmm. what, uh, what I might want on that desert island was really tricky. So um, here we go. My first one um, would be a real classic, which is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Mm -hmm. So this was probably one of the first um, sort of classics I read as a child. Um, And I I won a prize at school. Um, I won a book token. And I remember going with my mum into town and she was suggesting various books um, and little women caught my eye. Um, so I still have that original version with a little plaque in the front saying to to Rachel Smith, as I was at the time, um, congratulations on winning the um, the school award. So um, yes, it's a for people that don't know, the story follows um, four sisters, Meg, Beth, Joe, and Amy, um, from their childhood all the way through to adulthood. Uh, it it sets in the um, American Civil War, which sounds quite heavy. But actually the story, that, that's the backdrop through it all in terms of their father being away and their, and their mum and the sisters looking after each other and struggling through the poverty that they were experiencing. But, um, but their love for each other and their appreciation of the small things in life, which we were just talking about, is so uplifting. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And there, and there are still phrases in that book that I will know now. And still, um, again, I don't want to be a spoiler, but there are certain things that happen in that book that will still bring a tear to my eye, um, both happy and sad things. It's a really, um, really emotive book for me. And, and, then, and then, so that was the original uh, version. And then it, there are sequels. So there are up to four additional books as well. So that created a lot of um, spent a lot of my teenage years reading that the those books and then reading them again which isn't something I do often I don't often read a book again hmm. but I certainly have with little women wonderful um any of the film versions have you seen any oh no I can't do film versions of um books 
because the character I have in my head mm. is not the person that's on the screen. Um, so I don't think I've ever read any book where I've enjoyed the screen version more. Um, it's a lot of people say that. A lot of people who are big readers say, yeah, film was good, but you know, you just you, you can't reproduce your own imagination, can you, on screen? No, I think the only book is The Kite Runner. So The Kite Runner is, is, was one of my favourite books, which I didn't include in this. But I went to see a version of that at the Playhouse, which was exceptional. Um, but that's probably the only one where... Um, where I've enjoyed a, a performance more than the book, because um, people don't look like they don't look in my head like they do on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, you've got to read, read, or have to go to the cinema with a blindfold on and just listen. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's the first book, Little Women, uh, by Louisa May Alcott. That's a great start. Uh, what's your next choice? My next choice is, is completely different. So my next choice is Wild Swans by Young Cham. So this is. Um, this is a long book. I chose this book because I thought if I'm on a desert island, um, I'll have lots of time to uh, to pass. Um, so this will certainly do that. Um, again, it's a story um, about a family. Um, and it's three generations of a family in China. So this book is still banned in China, actually. Um, mm. So the first two parts are the biographies of the author's grandmother and mother. And then the second part is actually Young Chan's autobiography. So the first part, she talks about um, the challenges her grandmother had with um, with living in China, sort of at the, in the start of you know the 1900s, um, and things like having bound feet um, and uh, being forced to to be a concubine and, and get married to a warlord. So all things which are just so different to how we live life in the UK. Um, and again, the I think having been a podiatrist, the thought that, that, you know, you had to bind your feet to be, to have small, delicate feet to be attractive to men was just such a foreign concept to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, then the mother, her mother, so the second part of the book, her mother became a... Um, member of the communist party so then it talks takes you through the story of her mother and and how how she got involved in the communist party and then the third part um as i say is the autobiography of the author herself um and again she was because she had thoughts that didn't conform to what the government there wanted at the time um, she was sent to the countryside for thought reform, um, which again is just such a concept that's so different mm. to, to to now. And, and she actually lives in the UK now, the author. Um, so one of the reasons I love this book is a because it's absolutely fascinating that these things happened, you know, kind of across the other side of the world in a relatively short period of time ago. Um, but also, I love travel, and um, I went to China a few years ago. It's probably actually a few years ago. It's probably about twenty years ago now, um, and um, and just the things from the book that really came to life. So during um, the communist, um, the sort of Mao Zedong era, hmm. lots of birds were shot. Right. Um, and there were certain parts of China where that where I was where you didn't hear any bird song. So the birds still haven't repopulated those areas. 
So really interesting how the the impact of what happened a long time ago is still, you know, say having an impact today, really. Um, But the buildings in China are so beautiful. Hmm. And the book really describes them in in such a wonderful animated way that it, it was it was like I was walking through the book when I was over in China. So I love that book. Amazing. So uh, that's your second choice. What about number three? What have we got next? Number three is a hilarious book. So number three is called Watching the English by Kate Fox. So it's, Kate is a um, social anthropologist. So it, again, it sounds quite heavy and there are some references to research in it. So it's not something that you would sit and read, um, you know, from from front cover to back cover in one go it's a great book to dip in and out of so I thought while I was on an island and um, scrounging for food and foraging for food and and making my hammock etc this would be my um, this would be my great book to dip in and out of to um, to make myself chuckle at various uh, at various foibles that uh, of, of English society fascinated so, by that idea have you got any examples that come to mind yeah, it's just there are things like um, how we how we talk about the weather all the time, oh, and yes. how odd that is for other, you know, non-British, non-UK-based people, because you walk past someone and you say it's a lovely day, but that <laughs> actually means, that actually means hello, doesn't it? Yeah, You're not yeah. actually saying I want to talk to you about the weather and. Yeah. What do you think the meteorological condition of the UK is at the moment? We don't actually, we don't actually care about the weather, really. It's just, it's just our way of saying hello, and that's just not something that happens in other cultures. Um, and at my job before the um, before the hospice, I did quite a lot of um, international work. So again, um, people would give me strange looks when I would say, you know, oh, isn't it a lovely day? When actually I meant, hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> in defence of the British, I would say that, um, you know, you go to um, somewhere really hot all the time, like Saudi Arabia, it will be a bizarre thing because you, you know what the weather yeah. is every day. But at least at least in Britain, you have that, that variety of weather, don't you? I know we complain about the rain, but there, we appreciate. I think we really appreciate a really nice day. So it is a little conversational yeah. bridge, but there is some element of of doubt as to what kind of day it's going to be. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. But it was it was funny because talking about Saudi, my Saudi colleagues were very kind of what what does she mean? Why <laughs> would why would you even comment on that? Um, yeah, so there was a bit of a standing joke that uh, the British are obsessed with the weather, um, and, and say in this book quite eloquently pokes fun at pokes fun at us and uh, and challenges why we talk about these um, why we talk about these crazy things. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those books that you you find yourself laughing and thinking, oh, I do that and I say that. Um, <laughs> So it's, it's, it's really interesting to reflect on your your own behaviours and your own language and the things that you say to your kids as well. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, what's your next one then? My next one is uh, Blue Tide Rising, and this is by Claire Stevens. So Claire is actually a, a Nottingham person. She, um, she works at the hospice. She's our PR person at the hospice. And this is her first book, um, Interestingly, much of it based in Nottingham. So she talks about um, there's an accident in the book, and the, and the character comes to 
uh, NUH to have to have some treatment. Um, she talks about Sutton Bonington University campus. So um, it's a really it's a really interesting one from the fact that a I know her and she's the I think she's the only author I know. Um, it, it's based say predominantly in Nottingham and it's her first novel. Um, and writing a book is often one of those things that people think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to write my book. Um, and I think because I've worked in healthcare all my life, um, there are some hilarious stories that happen in healthcare. Um, and it's one of those things that people keep saying to me, write a book, write a book. But I don't think I ever could. Um, right. um, I, I'm more interested in reading about other people's experiences than I am about reflecting on my own, really. Um, that's fair enough different strokes and all that so she's uh, that's her first novel that's quite an achievement then absolutely and she's working on a second one and um again interestingly even though it's nearly finished it won't be published until march 2023 right um so the whole process takes a really long time um but one of the things i love about this book is i tend to read a lot before um before i go to bed um, and it's one of those books where you think, oh, just one more chapter, um, <laughs> because it's so engaging. Um, and then you end up reading even more, and then suddenly you're 10 chapters down. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, so Claire needs to hurry up with the next <laughs> with the next book, because um, I'm absolutely fascinated to know what uh, what the next story is. But it's this is this is I love this because it's a real page turner, um, and I say yeah, I can read it. Um, imagining Claire sitting at her desk, furtively writing away and editing and re-editing. Uh, so that's number four on your list, Blue Tide Rising by Claire Stevens. So uh, what's number five? Number five um, is another classic, again, linked back to um, when I was a teenager. So once I um, kind of enjoyed things like Little Women, I started to get into more of the classics like, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Emma, etc., and I really enjoyed Jane Eyre, which is by uh, Charlotte Bronte. Um, mm-hmm. So again, this this follows the story of a of, of Jane through um, a really cruel childhood, through to working for um, Mr. Rochester at Thornfield Hall, um, and the imagery in the book is just incredible. Um, and it was probably one of those first books where I had no idea where the story was going. Um, and so the, the surprising parts at the end, which again I won't I won't <laughs> ruin for, um, for any listeners that might want to read it, were really there was such a twist in the plots that I wasn't expecting. It really drew me in and made me um, gave me so many emotions. I guess so things like you know um, fear, compassion, joy, hope. Um, it, it's a really emotive book, um, and I say the. I was thinking if I'm sitting on a desert island and and going back to the weather, I'm assuming this desert island is somewhere beautiful and I'm sitting on a on a beach in the in the sunshine with white sand and blue sea. Um, The darkness of of Thornfield Hall and the darkness of uh, Victorian England, I thought would be a really good contrast. (laughs) Okay, fantastic stuff. So we've we've got our our five for you that you know well and you're going to reacquaint yourself with. Um, there is, of course, uh, an extra choice that you can take with you, something you haven't read yet. So book number six, what's that, Rachel? Book number six is by um, an absolute national treasure and who could not love him, um, but Sir David Attenborough. Uh, so I 
this is something where I do enjoy watching on the telly. Um, I absolutely adore all of his um, programmes about the planet and wildlife and animals. They're just incredible. Um, I think if I had to go, um, if I had to go back in time and choose another job, um, being a wildlife cameraman would be probably one of the things that I would consider. Um, and again, I know there's a huge amount of patience involved yeah. with waiting and capturing those perfect moments um, sometimes for years. But um, but have you ever seen any of those? Be- have you ever seen any of those like ten minute sections that come after one of the documentaries, which shows you the filming of how they got? Um, all, all the images and, and what they had to do to actually film stuff because I think they're fascinating and as you said it shows you the amount of patience some of these people need yeah absolutely I think I love those those sections at the end um, because it's lit- it's sometimes literally years worth of work in terms of making sure that the yeah. weather's right and that you know that you can get the visas to go and visit those parts of the world or um, you know that the civil war is finished, and and, and the, the effort that goes into that, and sitting, waiting, and waiting, and waiting, um, just to capture that magic moment, um, say takes takes a real patience and a real skill set. Often in the most awful of weathers, going back to the weather again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, often, you're British. Is, you know, so. it, <laughs> sitting in a tank in the Arctic, um, waiting for a you know, for a, an Arctic fox or something is just, <laughs> but the pleasure it gives, the, you know, the, the the general public from those magic moments is just incredible. So my book that I would love to read and make proper time for is um, A Life on Our Planet by Sir David Attenborough. I, as you've probably uh, gathered, I love travelling. Um, I've been really fortunate to have visited some amazing places around the world. So I've been obviously to China, I've been to Borneo, uh, Costa Rica, Zimbabwe, Kenya, um, all sorts all sorts of places around wow. the world. I'm, I'm really lucky. Um, and predominantly, I like to go and, you know, and observe the wildlife and uh, understand more about them. But then there's that whole conflict of, actually, David Attenborough's books and, and productions are very much around climate change at the moment and you know me getting on a flight going off to to these countries is probably not the ecologically responsible thing to do um so i I have a real an an inner conflict really with um with my desire to understand and learn more about the natural world and see it for myself versus the um the impact that has on the environment um and again, interesting, my children at school have been doing in geography, looking at the benefits and disadvantages of tourism. Um, and it, yeah, it's one of those things that I will be on a desert island will be dwelling on as to whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to, to hmm. do this, uh, to go uh, and explore the natural world. Are you going to do something about it then? Are you going to change some habits, do you think? I do. Um, I'm already, um, I do litter picking for um, I'm one of Nottingham, Nottingham Clean Champions. Um, so um, when I go out with my dog, I have my purple bag and my fluorescent tabard on, and I make sure that um, I go litter picking. Um, I'm also a, a member of a group called Paws for Plastic, which is, a, which is an international um, 
dog walking group and we try and pick up a piece of plastic every time we do a dog walk. Um, and there's about 15,000 of us now. And so the lady that runs it, that who, who's in Scotland, has worked out how many million pieces of plastic we will save from going into the oceans um, over a period of kind of five years if we do it every time we, we, we go for a dog walk. And it's, it's millions and millions of tonnes. So wow. that's a really positive thing. Um, I do try and um, make sure that I, I use sort of biodegradable and dolphin-friendly suntan lotion. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's lots of things I try and do. But, but one of the things I love about my job at the hospice is, um, is the charity shop. Um, right. So sustainable fashion is really important to me as well mm-hmm. um, because we know how much, I think... The stats are scary, like 40% of clothes that we buy, we never wear, um, wow. which which from the planet's point of view is awful. Um, but from a charity shop shopper, it's great because <laughs> um, I can get, you know, and everybody in Nottingham can get some great, um, really high quality clothing in our shops, which um, someone has either bought and hardly worn or bought and never worn. Um, and... Um, again reduce the reduce the impact on the environment and shop more sustainably so it's something again i feel really passionately about and at the hospice we're trying to be really socially aware um and reducing things like the the plastic bags that we use we are shopping more sustainably and really thinking about the 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 products that we use and the things that we buy and even down to things like our uniforms Hmm. um um, so, you know, they're made of polyester. Well, polyester doesn't biodegrade. So what, what are we going to do about that? So, um, yeah, so I try and be um, as active as possible as I can from a sustainability point of view. Um, and again, interesting that children these days seem to have lots of information and um, seem to be a lot more savvy than some, some, of, some of us older, older people. Um, but yeah, shopping in charity shops is just incredible. I just... I just love it because you can make a real difference to the environment. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure, Rachel, talking with you. Thanks for sharing all of that. Now, you do know that we're a hospital radio, and before we let you go, um, we would love a musical choice from you as a dedication uh, to anyone you like, really. So uh, what have you got and who would you like to dedicate it to? So this is a real no-brainer. This is one of my favourite songs. It's really uplifting, um, and I want to dedicate this to the amazing team at the hospice. And it is S Club 7, Reach for the Stars. Rachel Hucknell, CEO of Nottinghamshire Hospice. Thank you so much for joining NHR and uh, well done on all that you do. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Creating and rekindling memories. NHR.